Hi, I'm Shana Gadarian of Syracuse University, and I'm here with Jennifer Victor of George Mason University, and we are talking about HR1 today. So, uh, Professor Victor, do you want to start talking about HR1, what it is, and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, so HR1 is this piece of legislation that has now been passed by the House of Representatives that is about voting rights. And it's it's kind of a giant bill. It's one of these like omnibus pieces of legislation that includes um, kind of a hodgepodge of lots of expansive protections for voting rights and uh, making it easier for people to do early voting and mail-in voting. And um, some of the types of things that we saw happen spontaneously in states, uh, or it's not exactly spontaneous, but in an organized way as a way to have elections during the pandemic in 2020, uh, HR1 tries to uh, make a bunch of those uh, relatively positive changes, a little bit more permanent and um, and protected at the federal level to make voting easier for a lot of folks. And the supposition is that it will uh, fail in the Senate, uh, that it won't get through the Senate. Um, and Democrats are blaming it on Republicans because there are no Repub there are no is no Republican support for it, so it does it can't get that sixty vote. Um, that it would need uh, to get over the filibuster. Um, but in reality, I, I'm not sure that they have 50 Democratic votes for it either. Um, I think if they did have 50 Democratic votes for it, we'd be hearing a different, a slightly different tune. So they're blaming the Republicans, but I think um, that the, they don't quite have 50 Democratic votes uh, also explains why it's getting stalled. I think it's still possible that we'll see some of the individual provisions that are in HR1 get passed. And, and mostly what we've seen here is House Democrats making a symbolic um, sort of throwing of the gauntlet of here's what we want for voting rights as a way to stake out their position taking, as David Mayhew would say. Um, uh, but, uh, but we'll have to see how those issues uh, develop as, as things go on. Great. So I think the question, I think for many people would be like, why wouldn't Republicans want to make voting easier? What we saw in um, 2020 was we have kind of massive turnout at the presidential level and that, and and while we do get a change from a Republican to Democratic president, um, a lot of Republicans win in the House um, who hadn't won before, and um, we have an even Senate, and lots of state legislatures, um, even with this uh, kind of big turnout, um, remain Republican or or flip to Republican. So I guess the question for you is, and for us, is thinking about why it would be that the Republican Party isn't supportive of a bill like HR1? Yeah, so this is a great question. And, and I think there's more than one answer to it, but to, to try to be succinct about this as we need to be here in this format. <laughs> um, you know, one of the big answers is that it turns out Republicans believe, and in many cases are right, that they can win elections without winning over a majority of voters. Um, that there are structural advantages through things like the malapportionment of the U.S. Senate and the the Electoral College and things like that, that um, you know many of those same types of features are used at state levels as well, um, that give whichever party is in the minority in a state uh, an advantage in an election, such that the the you know one of the sort of folk theories of democracy of elections is that the whole purpose of an election is that the parties have an incentive to try to win over all the voters. Um, but if you write the rules in such a way that the minority party has an advantage, um, then those incentives aren't uh, aren't really in play. Um, and so one uh, answer to the question of why Republicans may not support HR1 is because if everybody voted, they think they might lose uh, as a very simple answer. And they think they can win without everybody voting and maybe their chances are better that way. 
Right. And I think it also goes to the kinds of voters that make up the different constituencies. So one of the things we know about political participation, other than, you know, how affected it is by the rules of the game, is that it's also affected by how easy or hard we make it because lots of people either aren't interested in politics or can't get over the kind of both informational and time resources that you need in order to kind of figure out who to vote for and how to vote and where to vote um, or take time out of your day to vote. And those resources are not evenly distributed among the parties. So we know that kind of education and age um, are ways that people get more of these political resources and wealth um, makes it easier to vote. And those tend to skew more heavily toward the Republican Party. So the parties also, in making it easier to vote, may make it more likely that more people with lower resources um, in terms of time and money, who tend to be more likely to be Democrats, could turn out to vote. And since the passage of civil rights in the 1960s, the majority of white voters have not gone for Democratic candidates, at least in presidential elections, they go for Republican candidates. And so if you're if you're looking at a racial breakdown in voters, then um, whites on par, on average, tend to go for Republicans. And so Republicans are looking to define their, uh, their voter base uh, to some extent through protecting that racial advantage. Right. And we'll see more about this in some of the voting rights cases that are now in front of the Supreme Court and how those kind of voter protections may or may not um, stay up um, when the Supreme Court deals with the Voting Rights Act. Yeah, that's a great point. Good things to keep our eye on. Yeah. Okay. I think we are.